The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, we're sitting here at the International Association of Privacy Professionals International Summit in Washington, D.C., and we're so thrilled that we have as our very special guest, and she's been on before, Anne Kavukian, who is the Information and Privacy Commissioner of Ontario, Canada, and she is recognized as one of the leading prospects possibly the leading privacy experts in the world, and she is well known for her seminal work on privacy-enhancing technologies, which is called PETS, which she talked about in 1995, and now this is a very big thing, be privacy by design. I went to her program yesterday. It was incredible. And there's so much more about her on our website. I'll just tell you a little bit more that she is the chair of the Identity, Privacy, and Security Institute at the University of Toronto, Canada. She's also a member of several boards, including the European Biometrics Forum, Future of Privacy, and the RIM Consul. She is a distinguished fellow of the Poneman Institute, which I am too, and I'm thrilled that you're on there. And you were also named the Intelligent Utility Magazine's top, one of the top 11 movers and shakers for the global smart grid industry for 2011. And she's been honored with the prestigious Christian Beckman Award for her pioneering work on privacy by design. I know we even talk about it with um, Senator Joe Simidian in California. Oh, he, we were so talking much. about you and privacy by design oh, because I've seen him in two weeks. I'm well, he's to hear I that. love him. He's Me been too. on our show three times, and yes, he supports Excellent. your work, and so it's very, very exciting. And so, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule here to sit with us. It's my pleasure. Always. Thank you for having me. Yes. So, Anne, why don't you tell us about Privacy by Design? So, my audience who may not even know what we're talking about. There's a simple distinction between Privacy by Design and the way we do things now. So, let me just set the stage. Up until now, generally speaking, privacy is protected through various laws and regulations and policies. The problem is, this works in what I call the old world, where we had Um, lots of time to look on the internet or uh, develop procedures, policies, and things, and it was a slower world. Fast forward, we have online social media growing at 
unbelievable paces, over 600 million users on Facebook. Everyone's on Twitter. You've got geolocation data everywhere. Everyone has mobile communication, cell phones, Wi-Fi everywhere. Everything is now morphing into the cloud. You've got cloud computing. You've got Web 2.0, Web 3.0. So the world is accelerating at such a pace that the changes that we've experienced in the last five years have outpaced all of the changes in the preceding 50 years, which were considered to be remarkable. So given that backdrop, how can we expect to protect privacy in this new world in the same way we've been doing it for the past 100 years? We need a different way. So the different way that I'm suggesting is privacy by design, and the distinction is this. The existing older methods of protection rely on a regulatory scheme where some harm takes place, some privacy infraction. Someone complains to a regulator like myself. I investigate, I, and then I offer them some form of redress. It's all sort of a harms-based approach that requires someone to come forward, someone investigates, and it's a lengthy process, even when we move quickly. And in that model, I know as a regulator, I only see the tip of the iceberg. There's only so many people come forward. There's only so many infractions you're actually going to catch. The majority go unknown, unregulated, unchallenged. I don't want that. I want to change the paradigm. That's what privacy by design does. So what privacy by design tries to do is it says to everybody, technology companies, businesses, governments, everyone, it says, Try to embed privacy proactively before the fact in everything you do, starting with technology, embedded in the design, the very architecture of technology, embedded as a core functionality right from the outset at the time the design specifications are drafted. You start there. Business practices. We need accountable business practices. The public has to know what you're doing with their information. Build it in. Tell them what you're doing. Tell them what you're not going to do without their consent. Open it up. Embed it into your business practices and processes. So this is the basic fundamental shift in mindset that we're going to look at these things proactively. The goal is prevent the harm instead of trying to resolve it after the fact. And this is also, incidentally, much more cost efficient and more effective. Yes. And, you know, I think it would be really interesting for you to kind of explain the difference between the United States and Canada. I, I just honor the way you handle privacy in Canada and, and the fact that um, in Canada and other European Union uh, members, you have privacy commissioners, which we don't have here. We have the Federal Trade Commission that can't take action on behalf of individuals. So could you just explain that? Because people are listening not only here at the University of California, Certainly. but but all over the country, and our whole mindset is really different about privacy. We have a system, and it's mirrored on the EU model, where we have privacy laws. Uh, compliance with those privacy laws are overseen by independent privacy commissioners, such as myself. Uh, we are regulators. We enforce compliance with those laws. And we have options available to us. You know, I always prefer the carrot to the stick, but we have both. So we have an ability to conduct independent investigations so people in my jurisdiction in Ontario, Canada, know they can file complaints with me. And we regularly educate the public. We have a mandate to educate the public so they know we're there. We encourage them to come forward. We're active on our website, and we do a lot with them. So they come and they complain if there's a, a privacy infraction. We investigate quite quickly, within months, and we have uh, either a, a report that we issue, and we try, in the majority of cases, we resolve the cases informally, 
with both parties satisfied. We really like alternative dispute resolution. Everybody's happy. So you have like an ombudsman-type process. Well, it's similar. I don't call myself an ombudsman because I am a commissioner in in the following way. I do have order-making power. So right. my strength is much my stronger, higher, stronger yes, more power. than an ombudsman. I prefer the ombudsman approach, though, yes. for the majority of cases. I want to affect a resolution where both parties can reach a, a satisfactory settlement. I just think that's a better that's solution. The first, that's the first the step. The first step. Yes. Majority of the cases, we can resolve it. Both parties are happy. They go away. Right. If we can't do that, it we move it forward to adjudication. And then in those cases, we do a formal uh, investigation. We issue a report. And at times, I issue an order. And an order is a binding decision on all parties. They must do it. And so I use those rarely, but I know I have the stick there. And more importantly, the, the government departments know I have the stick there. So it may make them more willing to cooperate with us at the earlier informal resolution stages. Uh, so there's strong powers, and we take them very seriously. So, Anne, let me ask you something. Would there be a time that there would need to be litigation, basically by a private litigator? If you're taking care of the consumer's problem, would there even need to be litigation? Let me give you an example. When I'll refer to our PHIPA, the Personal Health Information Protection Act. Yes. Um, in fact, I just recently recently issued an order. I've only issued 10 orders in six years, so I don't issue a lot of orders. Uh, but That's, You're a pretty good mediator. I, we do our best. <laughs> the, the, like 90% of our cases are mediated. It's fabulous. Okay. But what they can do with the order, so in the order, I find that there's a breach. There's been a breach of the act, and this was a, a rogue employee in a hospital accessing a patient's health information in an unauthorized manner. She didn't have a right to, to look at those files. She went into the files 96 times. It was very egregious. Now, what I can't do, I can't issue penalties. I can't issue a monetary reward to the complainant. But what the complainant can do is, armed with my report, where basically the finding of guilt has been made, she takes my report and she can file a civil suit. And she doesn't have to make her case. She just shows my order. She says, here's the commissioner's case. Commissioner found that there were multiple breaches, and then it makes her case. Oh, it's easy. huge evidence. Yes, yeah, exactly. Wow. So that, that I see how it is. But here it's very different, as you know. That you either can go to the Federal Trade Commission and make a complaint, but they can't take your individual case, which a lot of people don't even realize that in our country. And then they can litigate, or sometimes it's preempted, and they can't even litigate. So there's no redress. So as a privacy advocate myself, for people who are you know, consumers who are hurt, they don't have a lot of the redress that you do have there. So that's one, I think, big concern that we have here is that the consumer really gets lost. Okay, so I I wanted to get to uh, your privacy by design with the smart grid because that's coming. And I know you have really taken the lead across the world on this. So uh, most people don't even understand what's happening with the smart grid. And I'm in Southern California. I know they had big brouhaha. Yeah, PG&E in Northern California. But I'm San Diego Gas and Electric. And they are wonderful. They are. They're better. Yes, they're much better. So I feel fortunate that I'm there. But we don't have it yet in Orange County where I am. So for those of us, why don't you first explain what's happening with the smart grid and then we'll talk about the privacy implications. So what people should know is there is no actual smart grid yet. There are smart grid pilot projects taking place around the world and all of these start with 
the first piece, which is the smart meter. Smart meter will be will replace your existing meter where there would be a, a meter reader who would come to your house once a month and get the meter reading, which would tell the utility how much electricity you use so that they could bill you. Right. That process will be replaced automated through the smart meter, which will do two things differently. It will allow automatic transmission of your electrical usage uh, to the utility in near real time, 15-minute intervals. It will also allow two-way communication so that the utility can contact you, you can contact them. It will make you aware of your electrical usage patterns at what times of day and will enable you, should you wish, it's all your choice, to opt in to uh, time of peak use programs, peak saver programs, so that uh, you give the utility permission to turn down your air conditioner by two degrees if it's at the peak time, something like that. And I can wash my clothes at three in the morning. <laughs> yes, lucky you. So these are choices you have to make. But the point is, <clears throat> these will be your choices, but once you agree to it, the utility will, will be able to enter into your home you know, remotely and adjust your thermos setting. Those are good energy conservation choices. I don't have a problem with any of the energy-related issues. Sure. But my concern was when I heard about this, I said, what about the privacy of the individuals? Because now, the, what the smart meter does is the granularity with which it will be able to convey the information relating to the electrical usage patterns in your house is such that they're going to know a lot about you, a lot more about you than they knew before. They'll know who's doing what in the house, when you wake up, when you shower, when you eat, when you watch TV, when you go home, what time you go to bed at night, when you ha if you have an electric car, when you charge, when you leave the house and for what periods of time. I, I was talking to actually someone from one of the larger utilities in um, Southern California, and they said, we can know so much about what's going on in the house. I mean, the, the fact that if you've gone away for two days and you've got the... Um, the, the lights turning on and off, uh, you know, to tell the people who might be thinking of robbing you that you're right. not there. He said, we, we know those patterns. We know yes. that's not you, right. that that's a fake. And the thing is, with the smart grid growing, other people may, may be able to know things like that, too. So there's security threats. There are enormous privacy threats. Who has access to it? Right. Who are so, they sharing that exactly. with? So we said to our utilities in my jurisdiction, by all means, do the smart grid. We understand we're all for conservation of energy, but you have to embed privacy into the design of that smart grid, and you have to do it now. The good news was they were totally on side. We've worked very closely with Hydro One, and we have embedded privacy into the design of the emerging smart grid. Just an aside, it's much easier to do this right at the beginning of yes. anything, at the nascent stage of any development. Smart Grid is an ideal candidate. They're right at the beginning. Yes. It's perfect timing. So we had no pushback. In fact, we had strong cooperation from our utility. They worked very closely with us. We've just published our third white paper on the subject. Yes. And this right. one, we partnered with not only Hydro One, but GE, IBM, and Telvent. And what we've done in this one, we've operationalized privacy by design in the smart grid, meaning we are telling the utilities exactly how to do it. We've, we've given them Making the Making it easier. Yeah. Exactly. That isn't something they're ever used to, right? I mean, I, exactly. I heard your session when the guy from GE got up and he, he had been, you know, used to security because they don't want somebody to come in a terrorist or something. They're used yes, to that. But they're not really used to privacy because they hadn't collected that kind of information. I mean, when they would come by, <clears throat> my golden retriever would, you know, greet the guy who's coming to, yes. to look at my, my how much, you know, I, I use during the month but now everything is going to be remote they're going to know everything about like you said 
how much electricity I'm using if I'm having a party and there's the lights are on half the night. Yeah, this where's the the reasonable expectation of privacy? The house is your this is your last bastion of privacy. Exactly. The house is your castle. Yes. Uh, No one is supposed to know what goes on behind the walls of your home. And so that's why we went to great lengths to ensure that privacy was embedded, what we call as the default condition, meaning you don't have to ask for it. It's there. It's built in. Yes. And that's what we said to uh, our utilities and other utilities we were working with. And I can't announce it yet, but I have some very exciting news. I've been approached by a utility in Southern California. Very good. And they're going to partner with my office, as we partnered with Hydro One in Ontario, and embed privacy by design into their actual utility. Now, so Anne, so would excited. you believe you, you know, this is so funny because now you have, you've become like an expert on, on the smart grid, which is something you probably never expected to become so brilliant about, right? I tell you, two years ago, <laughs> I knew so little about this. Um, I call it become an instant expert because you get yes. immersed in the area and you have to learn and get up to speed. And they, me- have to, they have to an, educate you. Oh, totally. And you have to educate them because, like we said, they didn't know anything about this. I mean, this, he was so honest. The guy who got up yesterday, Wonderful. he just said... You know, we. This is something new for us. We and really have to clear. understand. I claim no expertise in the energy field, none whatsoever. I'm right. learning every day. Yes. But I, you know, I tell them I know something about privacy, and they say we know something about energy. So between the two of us, it's, it's, it's collaboration. A That's yes, right. it's wonderful. And I and I love the seven steps that. Oh, good. and I, I'd seven, like to go over those seven you. steps with you because they can really be for anything, whether it's a law exactly. firm. Or whether it's the smart grid, and I think it was just really brilliant. Oh, so I'm let's, you, like you like know, these you, are uh, these are the seven foundational principles of privacy by design. Yes, and, and I'm looking for them right now, but I know you and know I can them. Start the, the, the they're okay. really simple, and yes. one might say they're obvious, and I and I don't take that as. I take that actually as a compliment because whenever you've created something that is viewed as being obvious, then it means. Why didn't we do this before? We should have done this. this you know, it, but people it, didn't resonates. think of it in this concept, and yes. that's what's yes. so important is that you, you know, a lot of things are out there, but you put together the concept that really makes so much sense, and, and I just honor you for that oh, creativity and that that being able to, you know, really synthesize everything that's really important about privacy. I think we should just clone you. <laughs> And bring my, my husband would like that because he's in Arizona a lot of the time and I'm in Canada. Oh, my goodness. So, oh, goodness. Let, me, let me run through the seven yes, foundational wonderful. principles. And they're, just... and they're very simple. Okay. It's about being pro- proactive. The first principle is be proactive, not reactive. Try to prevent the harm instead of offer remediation after the fact. Second, And, and I want to stop you because I remember reading in here that, that they kept telling you, well, we'll do it later. We'll yes. do it later. Oh. And, and, and I've seen that even in, in our California legislature, and Joe Simidian has seen that as well. And it doesn't work. No, it does not. It doesn't work. And it, even when they try to do it later, the retrofitting of the protections, it's the bolted-on solution is never as effective. No. And it costs more. That's what, how I get through these the, the utilities and companies. This is going to cost you less. It's going to save you money. And, and the best example is it's, when you talk about it is building into the architecture. If you think about a house, yes. if you add-ons are... are Big pain. Yes, you can do it, but there's always going to be problems. The electric isn't going to work right, or or you've got caissons that you need to add, or something that just doesn't work right. And so that's this is so much more. It's proactive. It's preventative. It just makes so much more sense. One of the gentlemen I met at um, uh, it's called Distribute Tech, one of the largest energy conferences in San Diego, like 
eight, 9,000 people. And he said, yeah, this makes sense. He said, like, if you're building a house in Southern California, if you're just putting, pouring in the foundation, it's really easy to pour in, he said, rebar? I don't know what it is. Yeah, my it's husband's a, a builder, so, you so know. To build, pull it, put in the rebar to prevent or minimize the, uh, the risks for movement if there's an earthquake. Exactly. He said, when you do it at that stage, the cost is minimal. Yes. When you try to add protections after the fact, the cast is exorbitant and not as effective. And I said, that's a perfect example. It's a great example. And that's what we have to tell people is something that they can relate why yes. it's so much easier. Yes. Yeah. Uh, second principle, very simple, privacy as the default setting. This is the hardest principle because by, the, by default, I always say it's the condition that happens automatically. You don't have to ask for it. It's there. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about <laughs> it. I do what my, I call my, my neighbor's tests. I have wonderful neighbors. They're very bright, but they're not in the privacy field. So if I have to see if I, what I'm explaining is accessible to them. So I explained it to one neighbor, and she said, you mean it's in there? I don't have to ask for it. I get it for free. I said, that's it. <laughs> she said, give it to me. <laughs> right, and I don't have to worry. I'm protected, and that's I can be right. trusting of the system. Yes, Privacy is the default. Third one is privacy embedded in design. So again, this is just embedding it directly into the design, the very architecture of the system. The fourth one is very important. I don't want people to lose sight of this one. It's called full functionality, positive sum, not zero sum. We all know a lot about zero sum. Zero sum, it's either or. It's the balancing act. You can have this or you can have that. Rarely the twain shall meet. And, and the, they always talk about that, and you've talked about it, too. I've heard you talk about it, where you, privacy, can you have privacy or security? And that's baloney. You can have both privacy and security. And you can you have must. your cake and eat it, too. Yes, you must have both. Yes. And that's what we call positive sum, meaning you can have two positive increments of two different interests yeah. or functionalities. Yeah, you can, you can integrate the yes. two together. So yeah. I tell people, get rid of the verses. It's not yes. privacy versus security. It's privacy and security. So exactly. just replace the verses with an answer and you're good, you've yes. got full functionality. Yes. The fifth one is absolutely essential, end-to-end -end security. Again, yes. people somehow think that privacy is contrary to security. Nothing could be farther from the truth. You cannot have privacy without strong security. Cybersecurity, absolutely essential. We call this full life cycle protection. And, and I think that's important for people to understand who might be listening who don't know privacy, and that means not only when you collect it, but when you are done with it. Yes. That you just don't hang it around so that it can get oh, in, in some storage unit absolutely. and stolen. Or, or I'm so glad you raised that. To have that last level of secure destruction is absolutely critical. There's a wonderful association in the United States called the National Association for Informational yes. Destruction, NADE. Bob Johnson is the executive director. It's fabulous. And they try to get people's attention. You must destroy securely at the end. And people forget about that. And people forget. It's, they just... Yes. Off their radar. Yes. The sixth principle is visibility and transparency. Keep it open. Your customers have to know what you're doing with their information. If you remain visible in terms of your information practices, what are you doing with the information? How are you using it? Who are you giving it to? More importantly, who are you not giving it to without their consent? They'll be loyal, and they will respect you, and they will give you their repeat business. Yes. And the last one, it could have been the first one, respect for user privacy. Keep it user-centric. If you focus on the user, and as you're designing your systems and your processes, you're, you stay focused on the user, 
it's easy. The rest of it falls into the place because yes. then you've got respect for the user built throughout the whole yes. system. And all of us use electricity. If we're talking about the smart grid, I mean, it's all of us. It's you. It's me. It's everybody. And so I think that, you know, a user is just the consumer. So those Absolutely. some people listening to this may not understand, well, I don't know if I'm the user or does what does that mean? Yes, but the user yes. means the consumer, the a customer. user means the customer, the consumer, anyone who's actually using the products or the services. So yes. this framework, I think, is, you know, I'm taking it back and I'm going to be using this and give you the credit when I oh, when I so go much. into I have to do a program at the State Bar Annual Meeting for, oh, for California about privacy. And I'm going to say, look. This is from the Commissioner of Ontario, and this is really what we should be doing in every law firm, because we just had um, a big brouhaha within within our country about the um, the red flag rules for protection of identity theft, and they found that lawyers are not subject to those rules. But lawyers should be subject to this privacy by design that everything that we do should protect. And you can tell the, your, your audience here in the U.S. that this is fully con- compliant and consistent with U.S. Me- uh, thinking. So John yes. Leibowitz, uh, chairman of the Federal Trade Commission, they're just reviewing this paper for consultation. It will be finalized later in the summer, in the fall. And he recommended three practices that be followed with respect to protecting privacy online. The second practice was privacy by design. He named it and uh, kindly gave me attribution for it. Yes. So he is fully compliant with this page. I went to Washington to talk to him last year. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I, w- I was hoping to meet with the chairman to, as I say, sell him on privacy by design. Right. And we started talking. After about 10 minutes, he said, Commissioner, Commissioner, you don't have to sell me on privacy by design. <laughs> I'm there with you. I'm on the same page. We love privacy by design. We're yes. going to f- have it followed here. So he is. I'm. I'm very grateful to him for his kind endorsement of privacy by design. And so, to your audience, the American lawyers and the legal community, they shouldn't have a problem with it that it's somehow not U.S. based. Right. Right. And this, and our audience is not just lawyers. It's students. It's people all over, and people who listen to our podcasts all over the world. So, I mean, we we actually hear from a lot of Canadians, by the way. Wonderful. So they'll be thrilled to have their own commissioner from Ontario oh, speaking so to pleased. us. And they should know, just as a also in the EU, the the data supervisor, uh, the privacy data supervisor, Peter Hustings, in the EU, has recommended that privacy by design be embedded into the framework, into the EU directive on data protection. So it's oh, and finally, I, I, my last thing. No, it, you, it's it not got, last. You don't. It wherever. got voted. Um, it got unanimously passed as an international standard uh, by the International Assembly of Privacy Commissions and Data Protection Authorities in uh, Jerusalem at the annual conference in yes. October. Congratulations so, on you. that. So it's now it, it's it's um it's an international resolution that was unanimously adopted. Rarely does that happen. And so this is now the international standard for privacy. So what's your next big excitement? <laughs> Oh, I got to keep beating this drum for a while. Oh, I know. You know, know. we we, we think we've come so far and perhaps we've we've come a ways, but we have so much work yet to do. When I speak to, I'm giving a a luncheon speech in about an hour, my message to them is going to be, we ain't done nothing yet. And excuse my English, but (laughs) I need to express it in that vernacular because it's just started. Because for every success that we may talk about here, I can point to a dozen 
articles that appear they, that say there's no more privacy, privacy is dead, online world, nobody cares about privacy, they're sharing their social da data. But the thing is, this is what I want to impress on your audience, and I say this as a psychologist, that, that's what I was in my former life. People have many interests. Yes. We are social animals. Of course we want to connect. Of course Facebook is so popular. That do, but that doesn't mean that we don't also want our privacy. We are also we have multiple needs. Humans don't just have one way. We're social in nature, and we have moments where we need our solitude and our resolve and moments of intimacy and moments where we control the information relating to us. We need both. Again, positive sum. It's not one or the other. So I just feel we have to get this messaging out more broadly that you don't have to make these absurd choices. Well, I can either do this or do this. Right. No, you can have it all. You can do both. But you have to exercise some choice and some responsibility in the decisions you make. Yes. And I think the one thing that I love about your website and what you're doing, Anne, is that you're educating people. And I think sure. people can't make good choices unless they understand them. And that's the issue. I mean, I can opt in if I understand what yes. the op what the options are. If they're clear to me, if they're not confusing, then I can make those choices. And that's the other problem is that we really need to educate people about those choices. And when I look at Facebook and, and the lack of transparency, for example, on what you're doing, then we don't have those choices. And I think that's the next big area is to really educate people to have those choices. And then companies and, and law firms and government using your privacy by design, those seven steps will sure make a big difference. Oh, I'd be so grateful. If I can say one thing about yes. Facebook, uh, and, and uh, you know, if I was younger, I'd be all over Facebook. Oh, I mean, I have I, Facebook, but only for professionals. Well, and I would have it, but I, I just don't have a life, so I, <laughs> I just leave some time to, to you know, see my husband. But the thing is, Facebook has choices you can, if you exercise control, yes. you can go in there. They do have privacy settings, and they have... Uh, but they keep changing them. But they've, yeah. they're changing them, but they've committed to this, which was that if you opt out of some things, that, that will be a global opt-out. Yes. It will be a persistent opt-out, which is fabulous. And so we just need to get in there. I talk to schools. We just need to educate more and more. And that's the bigger job ahead of us. Yes. Uh, that's the challenge. Education. And that's yours. And we are speaking with a wonderful, wonderful, actually a psychologist and the commissioner of Un of information privacy uh, from Ontario, Canada, and Kavukian, and she is just really wonderful. Thank you so much. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.